Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. What's up, Buffalo Fanatics? Josh Allen here. Just wanted to say, uh, go Bills. is a Buffalo Fanatics. C-Bot here with you Monday night live on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel that of course can only mean one thing. It's the smoke break. So glad he decided to join me on this gorgeous Monday evening. I'm looking outside. It still feels like it's mid-afternoon. Mid-70s up here in the rock. A gorgeous day. The sun is shining. We are under 90 days till NFL football. It just keeps creeping a little bit closer and closer. And before you know it, that season is going to be here. And I think we're all in agreement here. This is just one of those seasons. It's one of those years where it's got you more excited than usual for a variety of different reasons. And knowing that it's this close, approaching mid-June now, it's exciting stuff. So real good to have you in. Lots to cover tonight. Did some math today. My old high school and middle school teachers would be proud of me because I was not a mathematician by any means. I was a, I was a, I was a big English student. I loved English. I, I liked history. You know, I guess I, it, it's funny. Everybody you meet who's, uh, who's really into like science and math, they're not particularly great at English and history. Same with those who are good at history and English. They're just not good at math and science. Weird how that works. Got to be something in the brain. But I did put on my mathematician hat today. And in doing so, I tried to figure out what is it going to take for Josh Allen to win the MVP this year? Not going to kick the show off with that, but wanted to preface the main chunk of what I'm going to be talking about tonight because it got me interested. You know, obviously, Josh Allen right now, one of, if not the front runner in Vegas for the MVP. But I think as this Bills team continued to get better in the offseason, the Super Bowl odds went up. The hype train is 100 million miles an hour down the down the runway right now. I think it, it's almost getting lost where we have Josh Allen at in regards to his career, his legacy, and how this year could potentially be his best shot at winning that MVP. So a lot to dive into within that. And we're going to figure out what exactly does Josh Allen have to do? What benchmark does he have to hit in order to win that MVP for not only himself, but the city of Buffalo? I personally think, you know, personal accolades, and I think Josh Allen would be the first to tell you, they don't mean anything really. I mean, all we care about is wins, losses, and a Super Bowl championship. But the more I think about it, the more I really do think an MVP win for Josh Allen would just be absolutely major beyond the fact that it gets to go into his collection. I just think for Buffalo in general, it would be massive. So we're going to get into that later on in the show. Rev coming in saying Z-Bot with no hat. No, it feels weird. I wear a hat everywhere. 
I, I had a wedding the other day, uh, Saturday night, and I was nervous about going to the wedding because you can't wear a hat to a wedding. And I am not a fedora guy. If you see me in a fedora, you, I mean, there's, there's, I'm not even going to go there. I mean, if I wore a fedora, I deserve what's coming to me. And what probably is coming to me is a good old ass kicking by somebody well-deserved. I look like a fool in those things. I'm very particular with the hats. It's got to be a dad cap. I bend the hell out of the brim. I've gotten roasted before online from people I don't know. Like bend that, bend the rim of the hat a little bit more. I didn't know there was a limit to how much you could bend it. I can't wear a flat rim. I look like an idiot. Absolute idiot. Speaking of Rev, Rev, Rico, Pierre, they rock the flat rim and it looks fantastic. If I put the flat rim on, it looks like my head is SpongeBob's body square, you know, scaled down on top of somebody's, you know, shoulders. It looks ridiculous. Backwards hat. I look like I'm a six-year-old. And then anything other than the dad cap, I just look like a moron. The reason I'm not wearing a hat tonight. As we pointed out last week when I was on with Rev, I've been going with the green screen behind me as opposed to the traditional uh, background vinyl setup that I had that fell down on me three times a show. And the hat I had on today, of course, had green in it. And if you're familiar with how chroma keying works, if you're wearing green, it's going to be picked up by the green screen. And I, I mean, fill in the blank, I'd have the Buffalo Fanatics logo and uh, a big blank space in my head. And I would look like a, I look like more of an idiot than I do right now. So that is why I don't have the hat on. Uh, speaking of that wedding, by the way, I, I, I've noticed, you know what? It felt so good last week to rant about that trip that I had in the, in the flight situation. It felt so good. And I thought to myself, you know what? Every Monday, because as we meet every Monday, you have a full week in the books, right? Before I see you again, a lot happens throughout a week and oftentimes it's it's minimal right but those minimal things build up and they just eat at you and it's not often that you're just pouring it out to anybody right i mean you really don't often do that one because you just you get annoying after a while you get viewed as a pessimistic person and i i, I mean I, i'm thinking about myself um I don't like to consider myself pessimistic, but I oftentimes am able to identify the pessimist, the pessimism in any situation. It is an extraordinary superpower of mine. I've been compared to George Costanza in my life many a time because as, as George Costanza has once said in Seinfeld, he can, he can sense the slightest bit of human suffering. And then Jerry replies, are you sensing anything right now? I can, I can sense the slightest bit of human suffering. That's why I'm so that's why I'm so entwined within the Bills fan base. Uh, it's almost like I'm I'm a magnet to being able to identify the suffering and then within that kind of entrench myself in it. There's no better fan base throughout the last 20 years. Thank God Josh Allen has come to town, but I mean we are no stranger to human suffering as Bills fans up until the last couple of seasons. So me and my girlfriend, we've been together for six years, now going on seven. And as you well know, that means wedding bells are in the distance. Everybody and their mother asks you, so when's the wedding? You're next. When's it coming up? And if you're in that situation, it's like the worst thing that anybody could possibly ask you because we both know we're looking into it, right? I'm looking into it. She's looking into it. We're talking about it. But our relationship concerns two people, me and her. Outside of that, don't care what you have to say. Sorry, just don't. Really don't care. It's my relationship. Especially when it comes to the wedding. What good is, what, what, you just want something to talk about, right? I mean, that's what it all comes down to. You want to look forward to the wedding or whatever. Um, it's just incredibly a freaking annoying. 
But as I get older here, um, you know, more weddings come along. As you get older, your friends start to get married, obviously. Uh, and what a good friend of mine from college just got married over the weekend. As you get older here, especially when you're in a relationship like I am, where wedding is down the line here, you go to the weddings and you almost don't go there to enjoy them, but you go there to kind of study, right? You're studying the wedding because you're picking up on what, what you would do and what you wouldn't do at your own wedding. It's kind of like you're going in for a trial run. You're in the back, you're, you get to observe, right? You don't have to, you don't have to be entrenched within the, uh, you know, the main theatrics of those who are in the wedding party are actually getting married. Obviously you kind of get to sit back, relax and take it all in, see what works and what doesn't. Now it was a gorgeous wedding. So happy for my friend. It was, uh, it was beautiful. It was an outdoor wedding. The first one I've ever been to. Um, I, I, I think that's great. I personally, I, I'm, I'm not an old school guy. I'm not in love with the idea of uh, getting married at a church. I just think it's kind of boring. Um, I don't know. I just think that it, it, you could, it's supposed to be a fun day. It's supposed to be a fun day. I don't know how much fun you're going to have in a church pew. I'm having more fun outside the golf course. It was the first time in my life I've been to a wedding where it was actually encouraged to drink during the ceremony. Love that. But it was that element of the night that I learned. I, this was the lesson I learned from the wedding. And the problem here is it's, it's no fault of the people planning and hosting the wedding because how could you know? The place is gorgeous. You got all these people there. It's great. It's a, it's a beautiful night, right? You got all the loved ones there. Everything's set up. It looks perfect, right? And there's certain things that just aren't in your control. They, they just, there's nothing you can do about the way people operate, act, work, whatever. There's only so much you can do. In my opinion, the wedding... Weddings are, they come down to a couple of very crucial factors. One in which, of course, is the bar situation. The bar situation, I mean, maybe I'm being overdramatic here, but it's like, it's like 95% of the importance when it comes to a wedding. Everybody's there for a good time, right? And the bar typically helps fuel the good time. Now, I don't really know anybody who does a cash bar anymore. It's pretty much open bar or bust at this point. I could give a crap what the liquor is. Well, top shelf, doesn't matter to me. I am not a needy guy. Doesn't matter. Couple of drinks with my friends and we're off to the races. I don't care what it is. So they had it all set up. It was perfect. Open bar. And at first, I thought the, I thought the bartenders were great. Thought they were super nice. They were pouring them up nice. Uh, they actually had specialty drinks on the menu based on the bride and groom. So I was drinking old fashions, which I haven't had one of those in forever. Those were great. But the night goes on and I, I, I just don't understand people sometimes. This is somebody else's wedding. You're working at it. God knows how much is being spent to host the wedding here, to pay for you to work at this wedding. The two bartenders at this wedding were the two most miserable human beings I've ever encountered in my entire life. And that to me is just ludicrous because there's nothing that my friend and her fiance could have done to address that situation. How the hell were they going to know those two were going to show up with sand in their underpants? They had no clue. So you go up to the bar with these people. First of all, they bail on the normal glassware. They start pouring up drinks. And I'm not kidding you, clear Dixie cups that you'd have at like a kid's birthday party. That wasn't ordered by my friend. That was just the way that they started rolling. 
In the beginning of the night, it wasn't like that. It was glassware, like it should be, right? We're talking legitimate plastic Dixie cups. Okay, whatever. I get it. Maybe, maybe you know, the 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 washing the washing machine's full, or the uh, whatever you call it, um, dishwashing machine. Maybe it's full. All right, fine, whatever. I don't care what I'm drinking out of. But these people, they they would they would pour up the drink. It would be 99.9% of the mixer, and then they'd splash it with some booze. And it got to the point where it wasn't just me kind of noticing. It, it was everybody that I was with, including the uh, my friend who got married. She she uh, we I talked to her afterwards. She was well aware of this. Apparently, they had just they had just I don't I don't know what it was. It was almost like somebody had told them prior to the night, like I don't care what anybody says. You do not get rid of our alcohol. It was almost like they had to conserve it for their own well being. And if you went up and asked for something on the rocks or like a double or something, they would flat out tell you no. And my friend, actually, she went up and asked for uh, she's like, what, what, what do you recommend for te- uh, with tequila? And the guy just goes, I don't know. I, I mean, my girlfriend, Caroline, she runs a bartending service uh, as a side gig. She does these like she'll go to different weddings and run it. And, and she, I couldn't imagine just like somebody hired you to do that. And it was just incredible how disrespectful these people were. And not only that, but they were not, they were not delivering on top of it. So I talked to my friend afterwards and she even tried to like barter with them and say like, Hey, I'll pay whatever is necessary to like fix the issue here to allow to use more alcohol or, uh, or whatever else. And they were like, no, no, no. We're worried about overconsumption, uh, overconsumption. It was impossible to overconsume. So my lesson that I learned from this from this weekend, I am going to host an interview process for the bartenders at my wedding. They are going to make me drinks. Each one of them I'm going to have an open tryout. Um, I'm, I'm going to host auditions. You're going to make me a drink. You're going to come out. You're going to bring it to me. And then I'm going to do a personality test on you because it's not fair to anybody involved with planning that wedding to have to deal with people who are not only miserable, but are not doing their job correctly after you've paid God knows how much to do it. That's the lesson learned over the weekend. And I felt awful. You know, and it, it, I shouldn't though, because my friend had a terrific night. She said it was just, it was, it couldn't have went better for her. And that's all that matters truly. But I think it's ridiculous that she had to go and try to barter with the people she already hired for the job because they weren't doing it correctly. I just think that's absurd in this day and age with how much things cost, especially a wedding. That should be the last thing that sh- that should be a- of concern. So that was the big lesson learned this weekend. Interview process for the bartender, personality test, maybe may- maybe make them do a wonderlick test uh, just to see what kind of IQ they're bringing to the table, how to deal with people. Because there's no way that my friend knew that that was going to be the outcome when she, you know, took on the the gig or she took on the the place and the and the people she hired. There's no way. So just ridiculous. Um, I, I, my lesson was learned over the weekend as I as I go forward in the pursuit of planning a wedding at some point here. I, I, I'm not in the rush, but when I do, that is going to be a vital a vital aspect of it. Interviewing the bartenders. We're gonna do a taste test. We're gonna do a personality test. May the best man win. But it was a great weekend. Wedding was beautiful, gorgeous, super happy for my friend. It was great to see some old friends there. Um, yeah, truth to heart saying, coming in here and I said, make them run a 40. Not a bad idea because not only were they mean and not making good drinks, they were also slower than molasses. So a 40 time might not be a bad idea. You don't want people waiting in line like you're at the bank. I mean, well, let's get a little pep in our step here. So that might not be a bad idea. Truth to hearts. Maybe we'll do a 40. 
Uh, maybe we'll do a cone drill or two. Um, we'll, we'll just run them through a whole boot camp, a whole mini camp. And, um, and like I said, best man win. And whoever winds up, you know, rising to the top, first round draft pick, you can work the bot wedding. Congrats. Must be an absolute honor. It must be the pleasure of a lifetime. So uh, just these little things that you pick up on that you probably wish you don't, but it's like, Hey, you know, it, it, I, I wouldn't have any issue with it. Right. If it wasn't just dramatically obvious, my girlfriend, like we're up there. Not only are they being like, you know, rude, but she asks for, Oh, can I just get a, you know, tequila on the rocks? No, no. I, I mean, it just makes no sense, but uh, glad my friend had a great, uh, had a great night. The wedding was awesome. Haven't been to a wedding in a while. Like I said, great to see people. Great to get out and, and kind of, you know, Weddings are always a good time, right? It's hard not to have a good time. I just learned this weekend to vet the um, the bartenders. That's crucial. Uh, speaking of bringing people on to a roster, hiring people, whatever the hell else, uh, not including people that I'll hire at my wedding. I don't know if I'd hire Greg Van Rotten to be my bartender, but the Bills went ahead and signed him to the offensive line today. Uh, the Bills' newest acquisition, the eighth-year offensive lineman, joins the bills today to add even more depth to that offensive line position for the bills. Uh, I got the bio up on Greg Van Rotten here. Uh, he's coming from the jets. And like I mentioned, he is in his eighth year in the NFL, six, three, 305 pounds, big, big boy. Um, and here's what the bills had to say about Greg. They're saying Greg joins the bills in 2022 after spending the last two seasons with the jets he entered the NFL in 2012 as an undrafted free agent out of Penn with the Packers. He played in 2012 and 2013 with Green Bay, and then he would move on to play with the Jets, like I mentioned, and the Panthers as well. So a uh, couple of notable, factor, uh, notable facts about uh, Greg here. He started 50 of 75 career regular season games, and he's played in two playoff games, played in all 17 games last season for the Jets, and he started uh, all 13 games that were played uh, in the 2020 season for the Jets at, uh, at guard. So I think one of the positions within this organization that the Bills thought, uh, you know, or, or maybe the fans thought, uh, rather that, you know, could use some added depth, not that any position couldn't, but the offensive line, of course, uh, you know, just the way that the bills operate, the way that this team functions, you can never have too many guys at your disposal to protect Josh Allen. The bills go out and add another depth piece today uh, in Greg Van Rodden. So he joins the squad from the New York jets. And that's the latest uh, acquisition for the bills. Uh, bigger news today. And that is in regard to Jordan Poyer. You know, it felt like it felt like as soon as Stefan Diggs re-signed his contract, because I know, you know, I don't know if I was ever worried. It just felt like Stefan Diggs wants to be in Buffalo. Why wouldn't he want it out of Minnesota for a reason? He wanted to be on a, on a winning team with a better quarterback. That's exactly what he got in Buffalo. That's exactly what he helped build in Buffalo. So I wasn't necessarily concerned about getting that deal done, but it did take some time. And I know there were several people who were anxious and, you know, ultimately worried that it wouldn't wind up getting done with Stefan Tiggs digs, but of course it did. And that's in the rear view. Um, but then as soon as that contract got signed, it seemed like the worry then shifted to Jordan Poyer. I mean, I remember 
the day that Diggs signed his contract, it was almost an immediate shift to Jordan Poyer. And we haven't really gotten much of an update ever since that moment until today. So we knew that Jordan Poyer, uh, obviously, he will become an unrestricted free agent in 2023, meaning this coming season is his last on his current contract with the Bills. And we knew going into uh, the uh, offseason here, and as we get further into the summer, as we move towards training camp, that Jordan Poyer was obviously demanding a new contract. And usually when players do that, they hold out of training camp. I mean, how many times have we seen that? It's almost religious at this point. If a player is in a contract position demanding a new contract, they oftentimes make it very difficult on the organization, put them in a corner. And in doing that, they wind up holding out of training camp. But uh, today, Jordan Poyer, uh, which which is just, I mean, this is big news, truly. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if everybody's kind of taking it as big news because it might not be the main storyline amongst the NFL uh, news cycle today. But for the Bills, I mean, this is incredibly big news. And Adam Schefter tweeted out today around 1030 that Jordan Poyer will attend the Bills minicamp this week even though he's still seeking that contract extension. So uh, Schefter would go on to say the Bills have been in communication with Poyer's agent, Drew Rosenhaus and Kyle Lincoln about this situation. So uh, listen, you know, that tells me that Brandon Bean, I think if Schefter made a point to say that they've been in contact with the agent consistently, obviously there's something in play currently with Brandon Bean to try and keep Jordan Poyer around as long as he possibly can. You look at this defense, you look at how much it's upgraded this off season alone. We've talked about this a million times. It ultimately comes down to how great this Bills secondary is. And it is that great due to the fact that Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are in the backfield. Now those two are getting up there in age players at 31 right now. I don't know how much longer you expect to sign him for. And we have to get used to the fact that the bills in their current state being as good as they are, it's not going to be a carousel of bringing every single guy back every year. It's just going to be impossible, especially when Josh Allen's contract kicks in, if Gabe Davis winds up exploding in this season, he's going to be ha- he's going to have to get paid in a couple of seasons. They're going to have to figure out what to do with Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, the list goes on and on. It is incredibly difficult to keep the players that are your core guys together. That's of course why this year is so crucial for the Bills to get it done. Because if you look at the roster, good luck having a better team on paper than the bills currently have right now. I mean, it's almost unarguable at this point. If you ask anybody in the know, the bills have one of, if not the best roster in the league, many, many, many would argue it is the overall best roster in the league. That is incredibly difficult to sustain. I mean, you you look at new England throughout their reign of terror, just year after year. It's, it's remarkable when you look back on it because, you know, Brady was always the staple. So it never really felt that much different, but those teams were awfully different from the, from the various Super Bowls. It's incredible. If you go back and watch, even if you check out Brady's documentary there, the man in the arena, it's crazy to look at how different each individual team was. And that's what made that, you know, what new England did so impressive. They were able to get the job done that many times with that with different personnel almost every time it's that's what you know makes it even that much more impressive um 
to keep the band together is next to impossible. I mean, we just saw the domino fall in Kansas city. You know, it would be impossible a year or two ago to think, to think of Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. That just seemed like the big three in the NFL. I mean, you think of, uh, you know, you think of a, if you, th- if you were to think of three players, like in a, in a, in a, in a, in a group, uh, one of the top three uh, threesomes, I guess, I guess we could say one of the top threesomes that would come to mind would of course be Patrick Mahomes and Tyree kill Travis Kelsey. They let him walk and it made sense. I mean, you look at what Miami gave up for him, not only in draft capital, but of course, uh, financially, it just made too much sense. You have to be able to work around the cap situation the the roster situation and of course when you have a quarterback like Josh Allen like Patrick Mahomes who are commanding top of the market money it makes it even more difficult to be able to do that now in Jordan Poyer's situation uh, I look at this defense and I just wonder exactly how how good it would really be if Poyer and, and Hyde weren't the tandem in the backfield I mean when I think of this Bill's D those are truly the two guys I think of. They're the quarterbacks of this defense. They are the cornerstones, the veterans. And you just, you know, you don't even want to think about what the defense would be without those two. Uh, in Jordan Poyer's particular situation, I think Brandon Bean recognizes that. I think Brandon Bean also recognizes the window that the Bills are currently in and would like to keep Jordan Poyer around for as long as he possibly can during the window in which the bills have here to really maintain their dominance amongst the top of the league. Um, It's encouraging on both ends. It's encouraging to hear that Brandon Bean is in constant talks with Poyer's agents. It's very encouraging, even more encouraging in my opinion to see Poyer take the high road in a way and show up to, to training camp here. Um, you know, Poyer could make this incredibly difficult if we if he wanted to. And we've seen countless players throughout, you know, the, the history of the NFL do so. And you can't blame them. I mean, at the end of the day, this is the this is these guys' livelihood. It is a job and it's a financial, it's a financially incentivated job. And Jordan Poyer has been one of the best in the business at his position, and he's been an integral part in the success of this Bills team over the last several seasons. So it's it's understandable that Jordan Poyer is in a situation where he is demanding a new contract. But to see him, uh, you know, commit to uh, – to see him commit to minicamp here, I, I think is a, is a hell of a sign. Now, I'm not expecting a long-term deal to get done with Jordan Poyer. It's, it's, it's you know, the, the contract expires here – in 2022, but I, you know, based on him showing up, based on hearing that Brandon Bean is constantly in talks with the agents trying to work something out, that tells me, I mean, at least in my opinion, I see Jordan Poyer bringing, being brought back. Now, how long that's for, who knows? Nobody knows at this point. Obviously, you have him locked in for this season, but I'm more optimistic today, much more optimistic on a deal getting done. And I look at Poyer's current situation, his age, um, and just the cap situation the Bills are going to find themselves in down the road here. I could see Brandon Bean trying to lock Poyer in for maybe a two-year deal and try and keep him around for, like I said, that window in which the Bills are currently in where the Super Bowl, it's Super Bowl or bust. And I think if you look at that window, this year, I don't think it's going to get better than this particular year. 
But if you were to ask me what is the window size, I would say in, in two years post this year would be when you would you would think that window would start to shrink just based on the Bills' inability to pay everybody in sight. You know, unless, unless the Bills continuously rotate in young guys who are immediately dominant, who immediately take over in a starting role and are able to substitute out veteran players who cost much more, which is obviously doable, but it's very difficult to do. And it's very difficult to sustain. Um, I just see that within three, I think three years here is a very, uh, it, it, it's to me, when I think about the window, that to me is about, is about right in my mind. The window was open last year, about as wide as it could possibly be just based on the situation the Bills found themselves in in the playoffs and in the road to the Super Bowl, it just seemed like it would never be easier. But now based on the, the roster itself and in what's in place currently in Buffalo this season, really, you know, I mean, I think we all, I, it's so tough to describe it sometimes, but there's just an intangible feeling right now amongst the Bills fan base. And I can just feel it within the Bills organization. This just feels like the year where it has to happen. It just feels like that. They're all in. The chips are all in on the table. You don't go out and get Von Miller the way you do. You don't go get O.J. Howard, Jamison Crowder, these veteran guys in, in, in roles that clearly immediately impact where the Bills not only needed help, but also where they thrive. Um, that just it, we, We've known since the, the offseason started here that Brandon Bean took a different approach than he has – basically his entire career. And that's look at, we're done being conservative. We've built the house through the draft like promised. And it has worked out. We're living in a, we're living in an absolute pad right now. And now it's time to lay or it's time to put the tweaks in. It's time to, it's time to add to the foundation we've already built in order to capitalize on what has been built. That's what Brandon Bean has done. But that capitalization has to be done within a certain time frame if you want to truly soak every ounce out of what you have done. So I look at Jordan Poyer's situation, and I think that that has to be on the mind of Brandon Bean. We've gotten this far. We have added so much to this team. It would be a real blow to lose a guy like Jordan Poyer after doing all of that. So I could see a one-year or two-year deal being tacked on to 2022 here I really could today was very very um what's the word it, it's got me optimistic that's that's what I, there's no better way to put it really I mean there's a million other ways that this could have gone you could have heard that they're not interested in pursuing it you could have heard that Poyer was going to hold out uh variety of options and it just didn't seem like it ever really got to that point because minicamp is this week, and it's not like Poyer wasted any time. Right out of the shoots, he addresses the fact that he will be on the roster. So I think that that's incredibly, yeah, it's incredibly inspiring to, to us, as, to me as a fan. I just constantly look at what other fan bases have to deal with, and it's part of the business. I get it, but I just think that we have continuously gotten – we've just gotten so lucky. I mean, time after time, this team – who just felt like there, there was no, there was no luck in sight. I mean, obviously I think it all comes down to the fact that a lot of times you have to make your own luck. Brandon Bean has made his own luck throughout the last several seasons as he's continued to improve upon this roster. So maybe that's why, but it just seems like all the little things, all the little things have just gone right 
when in the past they just never, ever did. And this might not seem massive. It might seem insignificant, but it isn't. This to me is just another one of those little things that went right. Another one of those little things that you didn't have to worry about. Another one of those little things that could potentially become a big thing that becomes a much broader concern in a season where you just don't want any concerns that are similar to that situation on the table. I mean, your entire focus wants to be on the main goal, and that's all they've done all, all season. It's been tunnel vision on the pursuit of a championship. Every aspect of this offseason has been that. And as we grow closer here, you don't want anything to get in the way. And I just, seeing that news today, it is very encouraging. I think all of us should be encouraged by that news. Um, and and I, I, think another, I think another thing you take from it too is even if, you, even if you consider the possibility, which there of course is a possibility that Jordan Poyer moves on, I just think it's, it's added motivation for this season. I mean, once again, it all comes down to my personal thought process of this being the year where it's just it's it's bowl or bust. I don't know how else you could possibly describe it. It's it's just never ever felt quite like it feels right now. Every little aspect from opening the season against the Rams, the five primetime games, Josh Allen MVP favorite, the Super Bowl favorite. Just I mean, what what more else do you really need to add to that sentence there? I mean, there's just a million things that have lined up to show not only Bills fans but the entirety of the NFL fan base that the bills are the team to beat this year. And within that organization, the mindset is listen, I mean, we've gotten this close the last two seasons in particular last year. I mean, last season they were an eyelash away, right? And they didn't sit on their hands. All they did was get better in the off season. And that, of course, that has been the main indicator to show us fans that look at, they know what they got. They're no dummies, and they have doubled down on what has already been built in pursuit of what everybody in this chat wants, what everybody in that building wants. Frankly, anybody with a damn with a damn soul. I mean, there's not. I mean, unless you're just a, unless you just suck. Sorry. I mean, unless you just suck. Because I want nothing to do with you if you're like this. Like it's like me. It's like me. Like last year. Like it, who didn't want the Bengals to win that Super Bowl? Right. I mean, as Bills fans, is there any Bills fan who didn't want the Bengals to win that? I mean, maybe. There's a handful of them, I'm sure. And I saw reasons like, oh, you don't want Joe Burrow to win one before Allen or whatever. Okay, fine. I get it. But me personally, I like the, I like to root for the team and the fan base that I feel just deserves it. And I don't think there's anybody with a clear conscience who doesn't think the Bills fan base doesn't deserve a damn Super Bowl. I mean, you talk to anybody who's a fan of another team, and at least in my personal experience, unless they're just a diehard Bills hater, which I don't really meet many of those. I don't know about you guys. I don't often run into that. Anytime you meet somebody who's, who's ultimately a fan of the NFL, who gets the game, right? Who gets what it's all about, who gets how passionate people are about their team in this sport. They are the ones who tell you, man, if it can't be my team, I want it to be the Bills. I mean, at the, we at the wedding over the weekend, like I was talking to you about, I talked to a Dolphins fan and a diehard Jets fan who both, we, we got to talk in football, of course. And they both told me that. It's like when our seasons were inevitably done, I mean, rooting for the Bills. My best buddy, Nails, he's a Giants fan, right? He was out in North Dakota for school. He said that, he said that he had neighbors knocking on his door asking if he was all right because of how loud he was screaming for the Bills during that Chiefs game. He's not even a Bills fan. 
I mean, that's just the way it is, right? And I've felt that before. I have felt that while rooting for other teams in the playoffs when the Bills, of course, were never going to make it. It was always kind of like, hey, so who – who you're rooting for, right? And for me, it was always it was always one the team that was going to beat New England, right? So you know whether it was Atlanta or you know whether it was Philly, like when Philly beat when when Philly beat New England with with Nick Foles. I mean that I I was as excited as any Philly fan, truly. I mean I would just remember being in a room with you know everybody in that room was a, not a fan of New England nor the uh, Eagles. Everybody was a fan of a different team. And you just felt like when you were in that room, every person in that room was from Philadelphia. They were wearing green with, you know, uh, a fly Eagles fly flag draped over them, just going nuts. And that to me is what it's all about. And I think a lot of people share that sentiment. And this is the year. This is the year. And I've just never felt it more in my life outside of the fact that it's just, it's obvious that it's the year, but just based on everybody you talk to. I mean, everybody you talk to now has a comment about where the Bills are at and what the expectation is this season. And I'll tell you, it's funny. You don't have anybody come, or at least I don't. You don't. I don't have anybody coming up to me and telling me it's BS. And that's the other thing. I don't have anybody coming up to me and telling me that Josh Allen shouldn't be the MVP front run. I don't have anybody coming up and telling me that the Bills shouldn't be one of the favorites for the Super Bowl. It, it is common knowledge at this point. It's just a matter of the conversation piece being, do you think they can get it done and why? So that's where we're at. And that is my thoughts on the Jordan Poyer situation. Um, like I said, I think that I think I see a small extension coming out of this. And I think that is, I think that's the best, I think that's the best solution for both parties. You know, I, it really feels like Jordan Poyer has become uh, just one of those main, main faces of Buffalo alongside with Micah Hyde. And I got to think as he gets into the tail end of his career here, you know, why would you want to go bounce around the league, try and win another championship somewhere when one, you've already built something special in Buffalo and two, the odds of you winning one somewhere else aren't going to be any higher than they are in Buffalo. I just think it's a mutual win for both parties. And I hope that that winds up. Uh, I hope that winds up being the case. Uh, Jason N coming in here saying Zbot, serious question. Would you ever get a Buffalo tattoo? I absolutely would. Jason. Jason, I am waiting for the – wow. So hold on a minute. Maybe I spoke too soon because Kobe's coming in here saying, Z-Bot, if I paid you ten grand, would you get a Buffalo tattoo? Okay, so I'm going to rewind this. Let's pretend we went back in time, Kobe. I wouldn't get a tattoo of the Bills. But now that Kobe's got ten grand on the table, I absolutely would. So, Kobe, Venmo, I'll put it in the description. I'm expecting five digits in the bank account by the time we close up shop tonight. No, but in all seriousness, I have been waiting. So I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I, since a little kid, and I'm not a tattoo guy. I'm not a tattoo guy. It's kind of like, it's kind of like earlier when I was talking about the hat. Like I see people with sleeve tattoos. And I'm like, dude, that, that just looks killer. Like that's awesome. Uh, it looks sweet. Like great, especially when it's done awesome, super cool artwork. I would look like the biggest prick in town if I had a, a, a sleeve. I just, I, it would not suit me well at all. And I have one tattoo. It's Dave Matthews tattoo and it's hidden. It's on the top of my leg. You couldn't see it unless you had me completely naked. And I can count on one finger the amount of people who see that. Uh, so, so I'm not a huge tattoo guy, but to answer the question, I absolutely would get a Buffalo Bills tattoo. And the only way I would do it. And the only time I'm going to do it is when the Bills win a Super Bowl. I will probably schedule that tattoo appointment the day after. And I look forward to it because I had this whole, like I always play these scenarios out in my mind. 
and I have these, this whole scenario where I'm, I'm going to have a buddy of mine come and film the whole thing for you guys at the fanatics. And we're going to do like, we're going to make a day out of it. I mean, we're going to go and film the whole process. Me, cause I, my, my pain threshold is not, is not very high. I'll tell you that. So you're going to get me, you know, wheezing, crying, huffing and puffing, sweating my ass off. I'm sure it just, it feels like it would be top tier next level content. And that is what I'm all about. You guys know that. I mean, got uh, content. I mean, that's one of my favorite words. Content, content, content. Let me know what would be better than watching me get a Bill's Super Bowl tattoo as I go through what would inevitably be a very painful experience. Because like I said, it's just it's something that is not really up my alley. And uh, and I can only imagine, um, you know, just how that would turn out. But I think about it a lot. I think about it often. So I think about what I would do. I, I, I oftentimes when I do think about the Bill's Super Bowl tattoo, I wish my dad would get it with me. I doubt he would, but that would make it twice as cool. I think that would be awesome. Uh, Jason wants me to invite Rico to get the tat. You're going to have to ask Rico. I mean, I did, I did have him lose his blue cheese virginity. So, I mean, it's only right, I guess, that we go get the tat together. I mean, if you imagine, uh, imagine, all right, now you got me going, Jason. Now imagine this day, right? Rico flies in back to Buffalo, right? All right, we get, he gets in in the morning, boom, we're right over to Barbell right when it opens for lunch. Bang out some Barbell. We'll do a 10-piece Cajun honey butter barbecue with the blue cheese. Knock those down. Head over to the tattoo parlor. Me and Rico, you know, next, next to each other, we got, two, we got two guys or two ladies, whoever's in there working, tattooing away on us. Bill's tats, same location, same tat, Boom. Then once we get that done, we let them heal over at Arby's. We take our new tats over to Arby's. We, uh, we show them off prominently within the Arby's. So whether they are on our leg or our, our back or wherever, they will be seen the, uh, you know, the swelling, the redness, the bleeding, all of it in its, in its raw totality as we eat uh, Arby's boneless wings and um, beef and cheddars and curly fries. You let me know if it could get any better than that. Um, you're going to have to get Rigo to sign up on it. I don't know if you will, but I'll tell you right now, I'm all in. And that same goes for Rev. Same goes for Pierre. I mean, I'll get the whole damn squad up here. We'll get this whole squad up, man. We'll, we'll, we'll run out the tattoo parlor. We'll run out the tattoo bar parlor. We'll go live in there for all I care. I'll bring the equipment. We'll run it out in there. We'll get the tattoo artist going. I mean, not the more I think about it, man. I mean, this, this is almost, this is almost like this has to happen. Um, yeah. Wow. I mean, you really got me going here. Just imagine that, right? We go like, like, you know how we did the draft coverage for like eight hours. Imagine we just bring all the gear into the tattoo shop. We go live for like eight hours and uh, we're just getting Bill's tats, just jamming down um, bar bill wings while we're doing it. And then we take our talents over to Arby's to cap the night off. I just, I mean, that to me is like honeymoon status, right? That would be great. Jason wants me to do it live. I'll do it live. I'll be like Bill O'Reilly, screw it, we'll do it live. I'm down for that. I am absolutely down to do it live. Um, because you never know what you're going to get when you're getting the tattoo, man. You don't know. Like, you just don't know what the pain's going to be like, how it's going to turn out. I mean, there's a variety of factors. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Can we win the damn Super Bowl first, and then I'll address the tattoo situation? But I promise you, I promise you, I will definitely get the Bills Super Bowl tattoo when the Bills win the Super Bowl. So the thought process is I've, I've always tried, I've, I kind of try to like in my mind play out what I want when that happens. 
And I hope to God my girlfriend doesn't see this. She's at work. She's probably not going to go back and watch it. I think she would. I think she might leave me if I do it. If I get the bills tat, that could be a deal breaker. But promises are made, and I I'm not one to back out. That would be. Pro- I got. I got to deliver on it. Um, I think I would do like the. I, I, so I don't know if I would do the standing buffalo or the the modern buffalo. I think I'd probably go modern, just because I think that reflects the current. Uh, the current state of, you know, I mean, that reflects my lifetime at least. It was, I wasn't around for the standing Buffalo. Um, and then I, I think I would get, you know, Super Bowl champions around and then maybe I'd get the, the trophy on it, like in the background behind the Buffalo. I don't know. We have plenty of time to figure it out. Well, actually, hopefully we don't have a lot of time to figure out. I'll get this all locked in place by the end, by the time mid February comes around. Oh my God. Look who it is. It's the King, Jeff King, making his presence known. Let's get this party started right. Let's get this party started quickly. Good to see you, bot. Jeff, always good to see you. Spoke on the phone the other night, uh, the other day with Jeff King for 45 minutes. I got to tell you, I haven't had a good, I haven't had that good of a laugh in a long time. Jeff is the man. You already know that, but of course I have to double down on it every time I see Jeff's gorgeous avatar pop up. Uh, in the chat here, but yeah, Jeff and I spoke on the phone the other day, just kind of recap and Jeff wanted to reach out and let me know because Jeff, 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 I wanted to bring this up. Jeff uh, shared something. Oh, and by the way, I don't know who this David Pilata guy is, but uh, I'll see you later, bro. I mean, this guy's got nothing good to say. So David peace, brother. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. David Pilata definitely eats his wings with ranch. See you on the other side, David. Uh, anyhow, Jeff King rings me the other day. And this is something I thought was cool because I I felt the same way as Rev and I were live last week. And and Jeff kind of reached out and shared this with me. He wanted to tell me, he goes, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a real sappy guy. I'm not a real mushy, emotional guy, but he said, you know, it really hit me last week when you and Rev were kind of talking about those three different stories that all happened within the same week uh, about the bills and their culture. And it just really hit home for Jeff. He told me, uh, you know, being a Bills fan, seeing where we're at and seeing all the individual guys on this team within this organization that are really, you know, just becoming role models, becoming the example within the league. And I thought that was awesome to hear from Jeff because that's exactly how I feel. I mean, I don't find myself to be an overly emotional guy either, but I do get emotional and I do get sort of, I guess, mushy would be the word when it comes to stuff like that, because that stuff matters to me, especially as a fan I think, I think the players ultimately represent yourself when you are a fan of an organization. I think that. I mean, I think that that's just the way it goes. You are kind of, it, it's weird in a way, but you, you yourself are kind of represented by the organization that you root for, I think. Um, I mean, you know how it is. I mean, you think about Cowboys fans. Oftentimes, if you know a Cowboys fan, it might be a little tough. If you're, if you're first meeting somebody and he's a Cowboys fan, Pats fan, whatever, it might take a little extra when you first meet this guy in order to say, all right, he's all right. It might take a little extra. You know what I'm saying? I think that stuff matters. And of course, when you just see stuff like Rev and I discussed last week, uh, it's always great. And so Jeff reached out to share that with me. And I love that Jeff. Thank you again, my brother for the super chat. And uh, always nice to have you in here. My friend always is. Oh, Jason, your wife's a Cowboys fan. That's all right. That's all right. I mean, then that, that means you got the upper hand in the house now. You can't, you can never, you can never be mad at that. 
You got to take the you got to take the victories where you can, Jason. You know, you got to take the small ones where you can. All right. So as I told you, I put my math hat on today. I mean, I really did. I busted out the calculator, the pen and pencil or the electronic pen and pencil, if you will. I, I was out here making spreadsheets. Look at this. I went all the way in. So I'm thinking to myself earlier, well, I, I got to give credit where credit's due, actually. Listen, it's the offseason, man. I mean, we've been grinding over here at the Buffalo Fanatics. And I, I got to tell you, I'm, I don't want to pat anybody. I don't want to pat myself or anybody else on the back. We don't like to do that here. But we've been grinding, man. And I would say, you know, during the offseason, it is very difficult to oftentimes come up with stuff. I think everybody within the network here has been absolutely crushing it. But today... I texted the boys. I go, man, I'm kind of hit. I'm kind of hitting a content block here. I need some ideas. Rico, always to the rescue. He comes out. He says, "Let's talk. Why don't you talk about, you know, Josh Allen and the MVP and kind of what's what what, what what's going to go into it, right?" And I thought that was a really good idea he came up with because I think oftentimes when you think of the, about the MVP, one, I think it can. I think it can often get characterized into a not only a popularity contest, but it can be very politicized. I think a lot of times you are kind of told and indoctrinated into who you think should be the MVP. But of course, we as Bills fans, we have thought Josh Allen was MVP caliber probably the minute he leaped over the linebacker in Minnesota, right? I mean, not that we thought he was going to be an MVP you know, that year or the year after. But I think we all knew before anybody else, it, listen, the kid, it, 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 the potential is there, or at least it's there on a level times 100 than we've really ever seen ever play in in Buffalo or really in the league, right? I mean, for God's sakes, have you really ever seen anything like it? When he did that, it was like, stop what you're doing. Where were you when Josh Allen leaped over that dude? in Minnesota, right? I'll never forget where I was. I was in college and I remember just and one. I always remember that game because that was one of the biggest upsets in NFL history. The bills were like 15 point underdogs that game. And uh, it was just, it felt in that moment where it was like, Oh, Oh wow. Like that, that's what Brandon Bean meant when he said, you know, or I don't even, what did he say? I mean, what didn't he say? That's what Brandon Bean meant when he took the guy in the, in the draft, right? That's what he, that's what he was looking forward to us seeing. My point here is, I think us Bills fans, we always always knew the potential was there. Then, of course, as Josh Allen has rise to prominence and stardom, the rest of you know the league and fan bases have caught up to that notion. So, I think now it is to the point where Josh Allen has, of course, crept into that political group of MVP candidates. Where going into the season, you are kind of told that Josh Allen should win the MVP this season, right? I mean, that is the betting favorite currently, and I don't think anybody out there wouldn't have Josh Allen in their top three when it comes to considering who wins the MVP this season. But I don't think I've ever really stepped back and thought, okay, well, Josh Allen's had two incredible seasons back-to-back, 2020 in particular, just based on the stats and and essentially the the rise compared to anything he had done prior. I mean, it just nobody saw it coming, especially the way it did. Um and he was very close to winning it in 2020. He comes in second to Rodgers, but I think I, I think that if Rodgers doesn't go out and have probably the greatest year of his career in the regular season that year, Josh Allen wins the MVP in 2020. So 
I, I just, I, when Rico brought that up, I thought to myself, well, you know, I don't know if I've ever really stepped back, especially recently here when the odds of Josh Allen being the MVP have become incredibly high. I don't think I've ever really looked into what I think it would actually take, what actually needs to be done in order for him to do so. And as I mentioned at the top of the show here, Josh Allen would be the first to tell you the individual accolades don't matter. I think anybody else within that organization would be too. Of course, that's the way they operate. And most guys do that too, or at least most guys would have a good head on their shoulders. And I think the majority of the fan base, uh, you know, nobody would choose the MVP over a Super Bowl or getting to a Super Bowl or whatever. Obviously, that doesn't even need to be said. But I'm just saying here, I, I think it, get, it gets discounted a bit. I think. I think if Josh Allen were to win the MVP, I mean, I really do think that would be a major, major milestone for this organization. It, it truly would. I mean, it would solidify. It would solidify everything. I mean, I think the Super Bowl, of course, would be the ultimate, the ultimate dagger as to proving the Josh Allen experiment was one of the best, right? But him winning the MVP would really, truly be a major feat for this organization. And let's face it, back to the political aspect of things. There's nothing more politicized than the Hall of Fame. And I don't want to get into that talk right now because it's far, far, far too early. But, you know, as you look down the line, as, as you look at the legacy of players, these things matter, unfortunately. I mean, sometimes I don't think they should, depending on the player. I mean, for instance, you know, Eli Manning, if he doesn't win the second Super Bowl, is he a, is he a Hall of Famer? Um, even, even with the second Super Bowl, if Eli Manning isn't a Manning, is he a Hall of Famer, right? I mean, there's so many different aspects that go into it. There's so many different ways to get in and be left out. And I just think that when we look at the legacy of Josh Allen, which of course we want to live on far after he's done with the Bills, just like we've seen a very, very large amount compared to any other organization I've seen of the 90s Bills players and what they have been to this city ever since, they, what they've continued to be to this city ever since they wound up hanging up the cleats. I think everybody would love that to also be Josh Allen. And I think what we have seen thus far from him and how he fits the culture in Buffalo, it just seems like that would be the next phase. And I don't think, I think if Josh Allen were to go through his career and, and ultimately, you know, spend the majority, if not all of it in Buffalo and have it be as successful or nearly as successful as it has been so far, I just never see him phasing out of the Buffalo uh, sphere like Jim Kelly, Thurman, Andre, like all of them have. I mean, they're always around. And Josh Allen just strikes me as that guy that would always be around. I don't think you'd ever lose the impact that Josh Allen would have on the organization, whether it would be on the field or far after he's done. And when I think of legacy, I think when a lot of people think of legacy, ultimately it comes down to two things at the quarterback position, and that's Super Bowl rings and MVPs. And if Josh Allen wants to really leave behind a legacy unlike any we've seen in Buffalo, an MVP, at least one, at least one really, really, truly goes a long way. And the reason I think that this year is a pivotal year for Josh Allen's legacy is not only do I think it's the best year uh, or the best opportunity or one of the best opportunities he will have his entire career to win an MVP, but I also think it's one of his best opportunities, or excuse me, to win a Super Bowl. I also think it's one of his best opportunities to win an MVP. I think those two go hand in hand. Oftentimes when a team is good enough to win a Super Bowl, it means they are led by a quarterback who's good enough to win an MVP. Um, how often you're going to get that opportunity. We know in this league, it's not often, it's not long. And those windows can close very shortly. So 
in looking at Josh Allen and the current situation going into this, into this year, I think the window to win the MVP is just as open as it is with the Super Bowl. And I also think that that window can close just as quickly as that Super Bowl window can too. Because when you look at the roster, everything goes in to the ultimate quarterback award, the MVP. I mean, there hasn't been a, there hasn't been a winner. Uh, I mean, Adrian Peterson in 2012 was the last uh, player to win the MVP that wasn't a quarterback. It, it's a quarterback award. We all know that. We all know that. And I think everybody who looks at the overall uh, you know, logistics that go into an MVP win, it goes far beyond the quarterback itself. It oftentimes goes into incredible wide receiver play, incredible line play, uh, you know, a, a presence of a good run game. And then I think the defense also plays a part in it too. I mean, because the defense, if they wind up dominating, that can often lead to additional wins that you wouldn't have if your defense was subpar, but they still had the offense that they did. And who's judged more on wins and losses than a quarterback? Nobody. And that also, of course, is a major legacy piece. And that ultimately goes in to winning an MVP. So what I did is I went through and I went and looked at the last 10 MVP winners that were quarterbacks. The only one I left off within the last decade was, like I said, Adrian Peterson, 2012. So we had Rodgers in 21, Rodgers in 2020, Lamar in 19, Mahomes in 18, Brady in 17, Matt Ryan in 16, Cam Newton in 15, Rodgers in 14, Peyton Manning in 13, and Rodgers in 11. You know, in doing this, man, it really it really brings to light just the type of career Aaron Rodgers had over the last decade. Good God. Four of the last four of the last 10 quarterback MVP wins were Aaron Rodgers. It's it's truly remarkable. Um, so what I did is I went through and I looked at a variety of different stats that ultimately led to this quarterback winning the MVP. And no stat, I think, was more crucial and more consistent than the win-loss column. So I'm going to start there. But before I do, I would like to give a shout-out to our new friends over at Dynasty Owner. You heard me talk about them last week. I'm sure you've heard Rico and Rev talk about them. Dynasty Owner is a new partner of ours here at Buffalo Fanatics, and we're super stoked to be partnered up with them because they offer one of the most unique, fun, and exciting fantasy football experiences that's out there. It's unlike any fantasy football you've ever played, and we're stoked to have Dynasty Owner be a partner of Buffalo Fanatics. So here is a quick word from the folks over at Dynasty Owner. You've never experienced fantasy football quite like this. Unlike the other fantasy football platforms, Dynasty Owner uses real NFL salaries and salary cap, bench scoring, clutch scoring systems, and a variety of other options to make Dynasty Owner unlike any other fantasy football experience you've ever had. Do you have what it takes to be the best Dynasty Owner in the league? Download the Dynasty Owner app on the App Store or Google Play today to find out. I'll tell you, whoever did that voiceover work, sexiest voice I've ever heard and definitely doesn't sound like he smokes cigarettes. Definitely doesn't sound like he has damaged lip notes. Great work by that guy. That's our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Go check them out on the App Store or the Google Play Store and get to it. You don't even have to wait till the football season. Dynasty Owner Fantasy runs year-round. You can do some really cool things on that app. So go check them out. Dynasty Owner over at the App Store or the Google Play Store. All right, so... 
back to the MVP situation and kind of the experiment that I went through here to take a look at what I think Josh Allen needs to do this season in order to win the MVP. What benchmarks does he have to hit? The one thing that really stood out to me, and this goes back to what I was just talking about. Yes, the MVP is a quarterback award. And oftentimes, I wouldn't even say oftentimes, all the time, the win-loss column is judged upon the quarterback. I know there's plenty of people out there who say, you know, wins and losses aren't a quarterback stat. I get it, but, you know, the, the, the harsh reality is they are. I mean, they are. Whether you believe they are or not is fine. The way that it's perceived amongst the literally everybody else, right? I mean, like 99% of people is that it is. The way that it's perceived by the, uh, the MVP voters, it is. The Hall of Fame uh, committee, it is. So whether you believe it is or isn't, that's fine. But the people that are in charge of giving out these awards and gold jackets and whatever else, I, I mean, it, 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 there's really nothing else that matters more. And the one thing that I noticed amongst these last 10 uh, MVP wins by, by quarterbacks, the worst record that a quarterback had in an MVP year was 11-5. and five. That was the worst record. And that was Matt Ryan back in 2016. There was, there were, I mean, it's incredible the records that every single one of these teams had. If you look across the, the statistics here, one, two, three, four, five, six out of the 10 had 13 wins or more. So we're talking utter dominance. And that's, of course, during the 16 game format. Rodgers 13 and three the last two seasons. Cam Newton went 15 and one. Rodgers also went 14 and one, not starting in the final game in 2011. 11 and five being the worst record is crazy because the Bills were 11 and six last year and they felt leaps and bounds better than 11 and six. Just goes to show you what really went in to these MVPs. The most consistent stat out of everything in comparison to all 10 of these wins was the win-loss column. The only outlier was Matt Ryan, and it was 11-5. and five. It wasn't like they were 9-7. and seven. So right off the bat, without really having to calculate anything or go through and, and crunch numbers, the Bills are going to have to hit 12-13 wins minimum this year if Josh Allen wants to hit the MVP. Because there's going to be another team or two with an exceptional quarterback who's going to do that. And if it's going to come down to a tiebreaker, a coin flip, or trying to compare Josh Allen to somebody else, that will be a major factor in deciding who wins it. So what I did is I went through and I not only looked at the record, because I think that that, of course, plays a major factor amongst the voters in the, the, the landscape of the NFL. But I went back and looked at the major stat categories amongst the quarterback position. So I looked at the, I looked at the, uh, the, the passing completion percentage the yards thrown in the season, the touchdowns thrown in the season, the interceptions thrown in the season, and then the quarterback rating for the entire year. Three of the quarterbacks I took into account, their rushing stats, because that ultimately propelled them to the MVP. Maybe not so much Patrick Mahomes in 2018, but I don't think it hurt. But of course, Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson, they don't win the MVP in their respective seasons if they don't have the rushing yards that they do. Cam Newton in 2015, he had 636 rush yards, 10 touchdowns. And Lamar Jackson, as we know, in 2019, one of the all-time great performances on the ground that we'll ever see by a quarterback, 1,206 yards and seven touchdowns. Lamar doesn't win that MVP, of course, if it's not for what he did on the ground. So I factored in 
for those three. Mahomes went for 272 and two touchdowns in 18. But I just think that out of all these quarterbacks, like Brady, Matt Ryan, Rodgers, Manning, they, they were not winning the MVP based on their ability to move. They were strictly winning it based on their, their pocket presence. Mahomes' ability to move factors into his ability to win an MVP. It absolutely does because he's one of the more mobile quarterbacks in the league, one of the most shifty, and he's one of the best of all time in being able to get out of the pocket and extend the play. So that factors in. So I went through and I looked at those stats that I just mentioned, and I added added them all up and averaged them out to see amongst the last 10 MVP winners what the average number was for each one of those statistics. So let's take a look at what those were. So the average record for an MVP winner was 12.9 wins, 3.2 losses. So round up the average record for an MVP quarterback was 13 and three. I should have prefaced this. I also went back and averaged Josh Allen's two best seasons, 2020 and 2021. So what I did is I'm trying to compare the statistics that were the average of the last 10 MVP winners that were quarterbacks, weigh that against what Josh Allen's averages were over the last two seasons, and then see what the difference the differences were between the two and what Josh Allen will have to bump up in order to hit the average that these MVPs wound up having that won them the award. So Josh Allen's average record over the last two seasons was 12 and four and a half games. So if we're looking at that, Josh Allen is going to have to hit, like I had mentioned a little bit ago, 12 to 13 wins minimum. But now with the 17-game format, you might even have to consider a 14-game or 14-win record depending on what everybody else does. I just think that the win-loss column is a major differentiator between Josh Allen and another guy who has an extraordinary season. That could really come down to it. Also, that winds up factoring in with the one seed and a quarterback who leads his team to the one seed in the bye definitely has a better chance of winning the MVP than somebody who didn't. So Josh Allen's average record over the last two seasons, 12 wins, four and a half losses. So if you look at the averages there, Josh Allen would need to bump his record up a game and bump his losses down a game. So he'd have to win an additional game, lose an additional game, or not lose an additional game. The average quarterback completion percentage was 68.3%. Josh Allen's average completion percentage over the last two seasons. uh, Oh, I misspoke. I got all these numbers down here. So the average completion percentage over the last 10 MVP awards was 66.9%. Josh Allen's completion percentage over the last two seasons was 66.25%. So Josh Allen, he's right on the nose of completion percentage when it comes to the average stat that an MVP winning quarterback had. He'd only have to bump up his completion percentage by 0.65. So that's a wash. Josh Allen, if he just continues to complete the ball at the pace he's already at, that will do just fine when it comes to MVP caliber statistics. If we're looking at average yards, the average yards thrown in a season for an MVP winning quarterback was 4,449. 
Josh Allen's average yards per year over the last two seasons was 4,475. So Josh Allen is in a surplus of 26 yards over the average per year. So right off the bat here, early on, you can tell there's a theme here. And the theme is Josh Allen is about an eyelash away in almost every category. He needs to win an additional game. His completion percentage is near identical to the MVP standard. His yards per game or his yards per year are above the MVP standard. Okay, so here, here's where things get to fluctuating a bit. And I think that what I notice in this is the one thing that needs to change the most. His average touchdowns per, per year through the air, 36.5. The average touchdown through the air for an MVP winning quarterback over the last 10 was 41.4. Now, when you look at the interception to touchdown ratio, the average interceptions thrown in a season was 7.3 interceptions in a year. Josh Allen over the last two seasons has thrown 12 and a half interceptions per season, 15 a season ago and 10 the year prior. Now I went back and looked, there was only one quarterback over the last 10 MVP awards that threw more than 10 interceptions and won the MVP. And that was Patrick Mahomes in 2018. And the reason he won the MVP with that, with that stat line in the interception category is because he threw 50 touchdowns. So the ratio wound up averaging out. That was the second most touchdowns thrown amongst those 10 MVP winners. The, the, uh, the most was Peyton Manning with the Broncos back in 2013. So Mahomes had an unbelievable year scoring the ball. And even though he had the most interceptions, it wound up averaging out, like I said, because, I mean, 50 touchdowns, if you're throwing 12 interceptions, whatever. I mean, who cares? So Josh Allen right now, he's a, he's a half interception above the highest amount of interceptions that were thrown where an MVP was still one. So what that says is Josh Allen is going to have to eliminate his, his, his the turnovers compared to the MVP standard. And we know that Josh Allen, even still, and he's gotten incredibly, you know, incredibly improved in this department. But there were games last year. I know, I know one that comes to mind is the Atlanta Falcons game where there was just meltdowns, just turnover-oriented meltdowns. And if you're going to win an MVP, that, that really can't happen. I mean, you, you might be able to get away with one. There were a couple last year. The other one that I can think of is Jacksonville. I can't remember how many turnovers were in the game, but just Josh Allen couldn't move the ball to save his life against Jacksonville. You're only going to be able to have one blunder like that if you're, if you're going to want to win the MVP. So he's about five interceptions over the average, nearly double. So that was the most glaring aspect that I think needs to be addressed if Josh Allen is going to win the MVP. He's going to have to swap out about five interceptions for five additional touchdowns to hit both those averages. So amongst everything here, the one thing that I think really needs to be dialed back is the interceptions. But that's only when we're talking about the pursuit of an MVP. When I think about Josh Allen, I think that the interceptions, uh, and at least the way he throws them, it just might be baked into the way he plays the game. You know, Aaron Rodgers plays a style of football that's very MVP friendly because it's very statistically oriented. I mean, nobody's better at throwing the ball away in the history of the game than Aaron Rodgers. If the play collapses, he's the type of guy who would throw the ball away a second after the ball is snapped. He does not throw interceptions. Aaron Rodgers in his four MVP seasons, 
Four picks, five picks, five picks. The most he ever threw was six picks. So, but Aaron Rodgers plays a very different type of game. It's very calculated. It's very rhythmic. And it's very careful. Josh Allen isn't like that, but it's also what makes Josh Allen great. Because one of those throws that is off the back foot running away that's insane that winds up going for a touchdown can also wind up going for an interception. That was always the, the, the argument, the talking point with Brett Favre. Because Brett Favre would throw a ludicrous amount of interceptions, but he'd also throw touchdowns at a rate that no one had really ever seen before. And that's why he was an MVP quarterback back in his day. So I look at that and I wonder, yes, you're going to need to dial back the interceptions if you want to be MVP, MVP caliber, but you might not have to if you wind up overcompensating those turnovers based on the fact that you're, I don't know, your insane, incredibly impressive extend the play style of play winds up also resulting in a handful of extra touchdowns as well. Those might negate out. But like I mentioned, that was the one thing that definitely seemed to be the biggest outlier compared to the averages based on the other 10 MVP winners. And then we got back to, we got down to quarterback rating. So the average quarterback rating amongst those 10 MVPs was 112.96 Allen over the last two seasons, 99.7. So, you know, a bit of improvement there, too, as well, if you're going to want to hit the MVP average. But he's still floating around 100. And, um, I mean, obviously, in, in, in this day and age, that, that's kind of the benchmark. You want to be floating around there. Um, but the MVP caliber really was one – it was like 111 or higher. I mean, it really was. There were only a couple of outliers to that average. One was Cam Newton in 15 – he was the only MVP winner of the 10 to have a quarterback rating under 100. But he also ran for 636 yards and 10 touchdowns. But that also plays in the favor of Josh Allen, right? Because Josh Allen might not have as high of a quarterback rating, but he could also supplement that, um, that lack of a you know, high 110 quarterback rating with impressive ground stats, which we have seen. So if Josh Allen, this is basically the conclusion I've come to, because I don't think that that quarterback rating, to me, I mean, that's just, like I said, that's why Aaron Rodgers is, that's why he has four MVPs in the last 10 quarterback one MVPs, because he just plays that style of game that is so statistically friendly that when you look at at the end of the season, when you look at the ledger and his stats, it's almost impossible to not give it to him. I mean, he, all four of his MVPs were over a 111 quarterback rating. The lowest was 111.9. And back in 2011, he had the highest amongst all 10 of these winners with 122.5 quarterback rating. But that's just the way he plays the game. But he doesn't bring to the table what Josh Allen does, and that's the physicality, the ability to run the ball. So I look at Josh Allen and his rushing stats last year. 763 yards on the ground and six touchdowns. That was more yards on the ground than Cam Newton had in 2015. And it was more touched or it was uh, the same amount of touchdowns or uh, right around the same amount of touchdowns that Lamar Jackson had on the ground in his MVP season. Now, of course, MVP 
uh, for Lamar Jackson was one based on the fact that he ran for over a thousand yards. He ran for 1,206 yards. Absurd. And don't expect Allen to do that, nor should we want him to do that. If Allen's running for over a thousand yards, there's a problem. I, I do not want that. But even the season prior, Josh Allen had about 350 yards less on the ground in 2020 than he did in 2021, but he also had two additional touchdowns. He had eight rushing touchdowns uh, in 2020. So on average on the ground over the last two seasons, Josh Allen is just under 600 yards on the ground, and he averages seven rushing touchdowns a season. So when you combine the touchdowns through the air with the rushing average, he's at around 44 touchdowns a season. And when you look at the touchdowns thrown by Rodgers and, and Brady and, and Matt Ryan, the guys who weren't running the ball in the end zone, it almost winds up washing it out. So ultimately, here were the differences. These were the exact number differences between Josh Allen's last two seasons on average and the last 10 MVP winners on average. He's .09, or I'll just round up on that. He's, he's, he's one game shy in the win column, one game over in the loss column. He's .65% short on the passer rating. He's above average in the yards per season. He's about five touchdowns under the average touchdowns per season. He's about five interceptions over the average per season. He's about 13 points. He's about 13 points under the average quarterback rating. And as far as the three mobile quarterbacks are concerned, he's about 100 yards on the ground on average uh, lower and he's just under a touchdown lower as well. So if you break it down, what you wind up coming to the conclusion, or what the conclusion you wind up reaching, the guy is an MVP caliber quarterback, no question. And I think going into this season and looking at the stats over the last two seasons, it's safe to say that with a roster this year that I believe is the best amongst those three seasons, I think it's 100% the best. I think that if Josh Allen simply can stay on par with what he's done, but if he can also sprinkle in a few of the performances that we saw in the playoffs, I mean, if he sprinkles in a game that even remotely resembles the Chiefs or Patriots game, if you get there's 17 games, if he can sprinkle in three of those games where it's just like, my good God. Like, like you're just like, like, am I not watching the greatest to ever do it here? That type, that type of performance, 17 games, three, six, nine, 12. So that's like, if you can get one sixth of the season to be that, and then the rest to be on par with what he's done over the last two years, I think that that hits, that hits the threshold for MVP. The bar that has been set for MVP. If this is the bar at my eyelash, Josh Allen's at my eyeball. I mean, it's this close. And I look at this year and the roster, what he's already accomplished and what the others who have won the award have accomplished. The fact that he is the betting favorite for MVP makes an incredible amount of sense. It makes an incredible amount of sense. And it's good, good. I think it's a good value bet to take Josh Allen. Because not only is he right there right now at that 
uh, amongst almost every single one of those averages. But I think that this year he has the best roster within the last three seasons that he's had. So you factor that in and it, it is, it is without question. It is without question a major, major, major possibility for Josh Allen this year. And I don't think I really, you know, up until now, I haven't really broke down because ultimately this, this award, it just does come down to the numbers. It really does. I mean, there's nothing really else to it. Yes. The eye test plays a, a factor, but like I keep saying, that's why Aaron Rodgers has won four of the last 10 quarterback one MVPs. It's because of the numbers. You just can't, you can't look at those numbers at the end of the year and argue against giving the guy the award. It's just, it's too tough. The numbers are too good. But, but Allen's right there with an aspect of his game that the majority of these winners do not have. And that's the, and that's the mobile game. That's the rushing game. So with all that in consideration, I think that means two things. One, the fact that he is the, you know, the betting favorite for, for MVP is 100% justified. And two, the fact that the Bills are the Super Bowl favorite is also justified because I think that those two things go hand in hand. And that's why I think that this year is the best year. The, the best possibility for Allen to obtain both a Super Bowl ring and an MVP. And it makes me smile, man, to look at these to look at what needs to be done, to look at where Allen's at and where the, the league average is for MVP and how, how just unbelievably close he is in every single category. With an aspect of his game, like I keep saying, that the vast majority of these guys did not have. And that's the ability to extend the play and, and get upfield, run the ball for an absurd amount of yards and get in the end zone. I mean, 14 touchdowns on the ground over the last two seasons. So there it is, folks. There is your Z-Bot math lesson for the year. You're not going to get that ever again until, of course, I got to break down Josh Allen's next MVP. But I'm glad I did this because it definitely, it definitely put, uh, you know, it, it definitely put into perspective why Josh Allen is the MVP betting favorite. Not only because of what you see when you watch him, just the overall, like, oh my God, like, dude, like, what this guy, but the numbers are there. It's just that it's just, if the notch is at, you know, if the volume notch is at nine, the tick up to 10 gets the MVP in my opinion. And you tack that on with the fact that they have the roster they do this year. That's built to have potentially the best record in the AFC that's built to get the one seed. MVPs in the cards. MVPs in the cards. Super Bowl in the cards. Oh, what a time to be alive, Bills Mafia. Oh, my God. All right, what's Andre saying? I see people. I see people. Uh, people are saying Andre's in here talking some cap. Let's see what he's got to say. All right, Andre, uh, that will not... Uh, Three-layer defense, hello, Rams, Ramsey, Wagner, Donald. Uh, so, Andre, I'm guessing a Rams fan. Welcome to the show, Andre. Uh, that will not happen against the Rams. What a large target. It's like shooting the basketball in the Pacific Ocean. All I will say is timber. Listen, hey, look, uh, 
that game, I mean, that's what I said when the when the schedule came out. That game is uh, is incredibly. I just think it's incredibly telling um, for both of those teams. You got the team who just came off the Super Bowl win. You got the team that's the current favorite to win this year's Super Bowl. I think that that game really gives us a perspective of how the season, you know, what we can expect from both teams, win or lose. If both teams go out and ball out, that tells us, well, yeah, I mean, that just goes to show us. They are who we thought they were. But, if, you know, if one team completely lays an egg, you got to reevaluate. Now, you don't you don't hang your hat on one game, but that game is huge. You know, you know how it is. It's a narrative-driven league. And the stories that come out after that game, if one team lays an egg, it will be, oh, well, either, wow, Rams really collapsed after winning it all. Are they going to be the same again? Or, wow, did we have the Bills? Did, did we overthink the Bills this season? You know how it is. That game's huge. And yeah, the, the Rams have an incredible defense. That's why if Josh Allen does go out and have a great performance, you understand why he's the MVP favorite. And if the Rams go out and have a great performance, you know, I mean, I also think that a guy like Matthew Stafford could definitely be in the running for that award as well. I absolutely do. With that roster, the, with, with how weak the NFC is, I, I think that Matthew Stafford 100% is in play for that award. That game is huge. Obviously for both teams, but I, I think if you want to get down to it, since we're talking about MVP, that game could really be pivotal, pivotal for both quarterbacks, uh, perhaps when the season comes to an end, if uh, they both have great years. So, I mean, I, like, I, like I've told you a million times about that game. I, I, I can't remember a time I've ever been more excited in my life. I mean, holy cow. Oh, my God, that game. I just can't wait. I, I really cannot wait. Oh, my God. I can't believe we're less than 90 days away from that. I mean, seriously. The fact that it's down to double digits now is just like, it, to me, the, the nice thing about where we're at right now in the year, like mid-June here, is this time of year always just seems to absolutely fly. Like, because of the summer and the weather and, and whatever else. It's just, I don't know what it is about this time of year, but it always seems to go fast. And everybody always, I feel like, complains that the summer's never long enough. And... But the, the beauty of that is when the summer ends, the season's here. Like, that's the beauty of it. Like, as soon as the summer's coming to an end, there's the season. And the Bills are the team to kick it off. I can't wait. And that, of course, will be the night that we wind up making, uh, or the Bills, rather, wind up making the pursuit towards that championship. And Josh Allen winds up starting his MVP campaign. So we shall see. But the numbers are right here, folks. And uh, what I'll do is I'm going to go on Twitter and I'm going to post uh, all these numbers that I wound up coming up with just so that if you ever want to go and look at the exact numbers uh, visually, because I know I'm more of a visual guy myself, then uh, I'll have them over there for you. So you can go take a look and, and kind of really see the differences between where Josh Allen currently is on average, where the MVPs were and what Josh Allen will have to do to hit those averages to potentially win the MVP. So good stuff. All right. A Monday night, another one in the books. Uh, God, is the series 2-2 two -two tonight? Yeah, I think it is. Warriors, Celtics, 2-2. Two -two. I think I probably, what, the, that tip at a uh, nine? I, I'm like casually following that. It's a good series. I, I like, oh, wow, good God. Golden State up 20-8 to eight in the first quarter. But you know what, the NBA, you can be up 40 to nothing in the first quarter. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's insane how the NBA works. But I'm going to go watch that, so that's what I'm going to do tonight. Um, I'm off to do that. Back in the same place as I am right now with you next week, Monday night, 8 p.m., right here 
on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel. And I look forward to you joining me again then. But do not go far the rest of the week here on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel. We got Rico, of course, as he always does his thing right here on the channel. But the new uh, the new electrifying program that our main man, Rev, has brought to the lineup is an absolute must-see. If you don't already know, here is your reminder. Rev is live now Thursday night. So we're basically giving you something every night of the week. And the Thursday night slot is now filled up by my main man, Rev. And that's a must-watch. So... You got tonight, Rico tomorrow, Wednesday, you know, take a little bit of, bit of a break, not a smoke break, but a break, and then hit it up with my man Rev, and then I think Rico does it on Friday, and then, I mean, you're just jam-packed, so get all that in, too, before the next smoke break, all righty? Until then, have a great week, enjoy the rest of the Fanatics content coming your way this week, and I will see you right here again next Monday, and as always, baby, go Bills. Do, 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 do. Can't find my thumbnail. There it is. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.